guys. <laughs> so uh, no, Adam's out of town. He's he's uh, he's a little. Uh, indisposed uh, today. So he's invited me to come speak, take a little break from uh, uh, your, your journey through the story of Daniel. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Brandon Jacobs. I'm the lead pastor with Alive Nashville. We are a new church launching in September, meeting down in East Nashville, because we believe that we need all kinds of churches to reach all kinds of people. And Nashville currently has all kinds of people moving here so what an opportunity to reach people with the message of Jesus that I'm really excited about. I have postcards on your way out for everyone. I believe they're out in the lobby out there. Uh, I'd love to just put some info in your hand just to share a little bit more of our story, what we're doing. We want to try to get as many people as we can praying for us. We're also trying to raise financial support for our first two years to get us launched and going and all that stuff. That's how we start these new churches. So I'd love for you to grab that in your hand. But aside from that, I have a question to consider in your mind. Have you ever had, like, a brush with death? Like, like really, have you ever had, like, a real brush with death? Like, maybe, maybe like, a, like a, you're driving the car, and there's, like, an accident that happened right in front of you. You just barely miss it, and you know, whoa, that was close. Or maybe you were actually in the accident, and then you survived. Or maybe you're out hiking, you almost slipped off of a cliff, and that's when you realize, whoa, this is dangerous. Or whatever it might be. I've, I've had a brush with death. Mine was uh, at a Mexican restaurant in Georgia. <laughs> my in-laws live in Georgia, and so my wife and I and our little girls, we were out uh, with them, and, and uh, we went out to this Mexican restaurant. And uh, the thing with my in-laws, they're, they're, they're wonderful. Uh, but the first, I don't know, several years that uh, Sarah and I were married, they weren't really fans of me. They didn't really like me that much. Recently, they've, you know, they're, they're okay with me now. Uh, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not like, they don't think I'm the coolest person in the world, right? So we're sitting down, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm hanging out at the end of the table with, with, with our two little daughters, and, and everyone's just having a good time, just laughing, sharing stories and stuff, and they bring out the chips and salsa, and I, man, I don't know what it is, I, like, I don't ever crave chips and salsa, but when you put those things in front of me, I'm like, I need to eat all of these right now. And so I'm just, I'm just eating chips and salsa. They're all having a good time, cutting up, laughing and stuff. And I take a bite, and it was one of those, like, oh, a, a little piece went in the windpipe. You know what I mean? Okay, that happens sometimes. You know, every now and then you just call, <coughs> you, you clear it out, you're fine. But this one went in my windpipe. I went to clear it. This thing did not move. This thing was, like, lodged. And, I'm, and I realized, like, <gasps> I'm kind of having a, I'm struggling to breathe at this moment, Right? And so I'm like, okay, that's fine. I'm cool. I'm cool under pressure, right? You know, none freaks me out. So I'm like, I'm going to drink some water and, because I'm trying to swallow, right? And I realize when I'm trying to swallow, I realize that apparently this tortilla chip had broken off into the perfect shape of a knife, apparently, because every time I went to swallow, I was like, oh, you know, it's like right there. I was like, okay, so I'm going to drink some water. I'm going to soften this thing up. And, you know, it's no big deal. So I'm drinking some water and uh, trying to get uh, nothing. Nothing is affecting. This thing is apparently a solid piece of steel. I didn't know if I ate it as steel tortilla. Anyway, this thing is lodged. So I get to the point where, you know, I'm kind of struggling to breathe. And I, I start asking myself, you know, at what point do you, like, break social etiquette to let people know that you're dying from a tortilla chip, right? Like, at what point, like, when do I, maybe, I don't want to be stupid. These people already, they're all, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, I don't want to, they're all cutting up. They are not aware of anything that's going on, right? And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, and, I'm, and you know, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm really choked. That's when you really confront, like, those real questions in life is like, when do I really believe in Jesus? Like, am I going, 
I'm going to heaven today, man. I'm going to find out right now, you know. I'm like, so, what, so, so right then, the uh, waiter comes up. And uh, he's like, hey, are, are you guys ready to order? And since we were at the end of the table, like the rest of them didn't really see him. And I couldn't talk to him. I looked up to him. I don't know why I didn't s- signal to him or anything, but I just, I just looked at him. I was like, you know. And he's like, okay, we'll be back in a minute. And he walks off. And I was like, ah, I probably should have told him something, you know. <laughs> but I couldn't talk. So then I get to the I was like, okay, this is an emergency. I've got to let them know. But now the question is, how exactly do you do that? Like, do I just throw, fall on the floor? Like, do I, like, bang on the table? Do I just stand up and start pantomiming? Like, hey, I'm dying, tortilla chip right here. You know? <laughs> so as I'm thinking this, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. Right as I do, it just, it just pops out and goes down. And they never do. Like, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't even tell my wife that story. I felt so dumb. You know, she tried to include me. She asked me, she was like, so what do you think about that, Brandon? I was like, yeah, that's really funny, you know. And <laughs> so I, I never told her this, but I had this, this, this <laughs> my silly brush with death. But whether it's silly, whether it's a serious, whether it's an illness, whether it's um, a, 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 an unexpected death that we're dealing with, whether it's, it's all the kinds of things in life that can cause us to co- confront death to confront what we really believe about this. Like we really confront that question, what do I really believe about this? Because we don't really confront that every day, but every now and then there's those moments like, wait a minute, what do I really believe? These are those big questions in life that we're not often confronted with, but we do have to answer those questions, right? I think the biggest question in life, is this all to our existence? Are we more than just this? Is there life after death? We have to answer those questions because the way that we answer that question determines how we live our lives. It determines what we value. It determines what we prioritize and pursue. It determines how we treat ourselves and how we treat other people. I mean, the way we answer that question, is there more than just this? Is there life after death? The way we answer that determines how we live. And here's the thing, the way we live shows what we really believe about how we answer that question. I mean, think about that for a second. Whether we mean to or not, we're going to answer that question. I think often we just, we don't consider that question. We don't think about it. I think we're just too busy to think about that, right? I mean, life is too busy. We don't have the tortilla chip and, you know, choking us every day to make us think about that. Usually we just go through life, we're too busy, we never even really think about it. We just kind of answer that question by default without ever really thinking it through and thinking through the implications of what it means for our lives. We just kind of like, yeah, I'm sure there's life after death, but I don't think about it because I'm too busy, man. I mean, I go from one calendar appointment to the next. I go from one task to the next. I go from one thing to the next thing. I'm too busy to think about this, but the thing is, we answer even if it's by default. And the way we answer determines how we live. I'm going to be totally transparent about my bias. Totally transparent, 100%. Man, I believe there is more than than just this. I believe there's more to our existence. I believe we're more than just what we can see and what we can measure. Man, I believe that there is life after death. I believe that there is a God. I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Man, I can't help but not believe that there is something more of this. I mean, when when we look at the universe, man, we look at how intricate this thing is. We look at how complex it is. We look at this. It's almost like fine-tuned for life to exist. Like if any one of these little factors in physics were just slightly different, then the universe itself wouldn't be able to exist. Like we're 
learning more about these things. Like, this is mind-blowing. I'm like, I mean, that, that can't be happened on accident. That, I, I don't think so. When I look at the, our lives, when I look at life, and I look at love, and I look at beauty, like, what's the evolutionary advantage of appreciating beauty, right? Everything we feel supposedly has is just, is just come from some evolutionary advantage, right? What's the evolutionary advantage of appreciating beauty? What is, why do we have that wired into our brains? Where did that come from, man? I can't help but, man, there's something. We were created on purpose. This is not an accident. When I look at every single human civilization that has ever existed in all parts of the world has known that there is something higher than us. They were all disjointed, all disconnected. None of them talked to each other, but they all knew that there's something more than just this. And I really do think deep down inside all of us, we all individually know too. We all have a sense. And we know that there's a God there. We know that this isn't an accident. We were created. We know that there's a higher, higher power. We know that there's something above, above us. And here's the thing. It makes sense to me that if there is a creator, then he's beyond our understanding, right? He, I mean, he's beyond our comprehension. So if we were to understand him at all, then he would have to reveal himself to us, right? Does that, does that logic follow there? I don't know. It makes sense to me. Like he's this, this cosmic entity that created the whole universe. So if we're going to understand him at all, he would have to reveal himself to us. So did he? I don't know, man. I look, look out there. Look at the claims out there. When I look at the playing field, okay, did God reveal himself to the world? I don't know, when I look at all of them out there saying, oh, this is God, this is what God's about, this is who he really is. When I look at all of them, I just find it really hard to dismiss Jesus. I really do. Man, no matter what you think about this guy, I think it's just really hard to just dismiss him. I mean, unlike every other major religion in the world, Jesus had nothing worldly. This guy had no wealth, no resources, you realize for the majority of human history, you had to have some sort of political clout or some sort of royalty. or so. He had none of that, none of that. He had no military might. He had no culture backing him. In fact, the culture was against him. We look at every other world religion. They had those things. That kind of makes sense why those ideas would propagate. But it doesn't make sense with Jesus. Like there's something really weird going on with this guy. There's something really unique going on with this guy. Not only did he not have the culture backing him, but he had the most, the most powerful empire the world has ever seen going against his message and against him, bringing all of their might and all of their empire against him, and they couldn't stop him. They publicly killed this guy. You realize Jesus was not the only religious leader who was publicly killed? History is littered with religious leaders starting up their own religions. And usually what you see in history is when they take the leader and they kill him in front of everyone, that's the end of it. There are tons out there like that. What was different about Jesus? They publicly executed him, and then right after that, his religion, his movement exploded. It caught on like wildfire. This nobody with nothing but a message spread like wildfire, and he became the most influential human who has ever lived. I don't know. I, just, I think I just can't dismiss that. Like, who is this guy? This message that has changed civilizations, changed laws. He taught for only three years. Three years. This nobody, just, just some goo. He just went around talking. 
This message was so profound. It resonated with people so deeply that it was changing lives and changing families and changing communities and changing societies and has changed the world. We feel the impact of that 2,000 years later today. I just find that hard to dismiss. Man, I, 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 I see, you know, these... You know, it just makes sense with when, you know, in, in Buddhism, this is a prince. He was a prince. That's why it caught on. That makes sense. In Islam, you, you see that as there's, he's got a military behind him. He's spread by conquest, enforced by law, even to this day, 1,500 years later. We see in places of Islam, when they relax the laws, people are flooding to Christianity when it's no longer going to be executed to be a follower of Jesus. What is going on with this guy, Jesus, and his message? What is this? Not only is he different from every other religion in the world, but you realize Jesus is revered in every religion in the world. In Islam, he's known as the prophet Isa. In, in, uh, in uh, Hinduism, he's one of the avatars. In Buddhism, he's considered an enlightened holy man. In Judaism, he's a respected rabbi. I don't know about you, but if God were to become a person, I think he'd probably be kind of like that. I don't know, I'm going to admit, that's not proof of anything, but that's sure hard to dismiss. And so when he starts talking about God, when he starts talking about eternity, I don't know, I kind of want to listen to that. I mean, if I'm going to ask these questions about life after death, is there life after death? How do I have eternity? How do I have eternal life? How do I go to heaven or, or whatever it might be? If I'm going to answer those questions, why would I go ask a dead guy? Like all of these other, they're all dead, all of them. You know, you can go visit you know, Muhammad's grave. You go visit that today. You know, Buddha's dead. All the gurus, the Hindu gurus, they're all dead. Those enlightened prophets and great rabbis and teachers, they're all dead. Jesus is the only one. Like, what? you realize thousands of people said that he rose from the dead, including everyone he knew. Like, there are actual historical records, like, where the Romans were writing to each other. They're like, yeah, what's up with these Christian guys? Yeah, they claim their, their, uh, their leader rose from the dead. When they were trying to stop this movement, this Christianity movement, the Roman Empire was trying to stop this, they could not provide a dead body. They did for every other religion that was trying to start up. Oh, your leader, he didn't rise from the dead. He's right there. Here, we'll show you. They couldn't find that, that dead body. They couldn't produce it. No one, no one disagrees with this in history. You realize this. There's no ancient sources that say Jesus is in this tomb. None. In fact, his enemies agreed. Yeah, you're right. That tomb is empty. There's no tomb. We can't, he's not buried anywhere. He was supposed to be buried here. There's no body in there. They, no one disputes that. There are ancient sources that talk about this, and none of them dispute that. That's more of a modern invention, where today, like, you know, 1,500, 2,000 years later, we start talking about, oh, yeah, he really died. They just made it all up. But in ancient times, they were like, no, I mean, I don't, we can't find his tomb. Why'd they do that with everybody else but not Jesus. Oh, he stole the body. Can you imagine like these farmers, these, these, these the, Jesus' apostles, right? These farmers, these fishermen, right? What are they going to do? Like they're going to go on this, the, the holiday fest when there's tents everywhere. There's people camped everywhere. They're going to sneak through the crowds, through every, everything. They're going to go to the Roman legion, like ninja behind them, like, ah, you know, like move this giant stone silently so nobody hears it, get the dead body out. Nobody sees this though. I don't know, man. I just find it really hard to dismiss Jesus. Most importantly, <coughs> excuse me, I find it hard to dismiss what he said. This message, the only thing he had, only thing he had was the message. 
this message that was so profound that has changed the world we live in, that you cannot avoid the influence of Jesus. It's hard to dismiss. I think it's beautifully summed up by the Apostle Paul when he was writing to one of the early church leaders, a guy named Titus, and he was training him, and he was teaching him, and he was, he was developing him, and he wrote it uh, today. We have this recorded in the book of Titus. <coughs> Excuse me. It says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's talking about two appearances here. He's talking about two appearances of Jesus. The first is this appearance in grace, that according to Jesus, God offers his grace to everyone, this free gift of complete forgiveness that he offers to everyone. This is this message that he is telling people. And here's the thing, we know that we need that. One of the reasons that that message resonates with us, that you need to be saved from your sins, is because you know you have sins. Like, we all know that. That's not something I need to tell you. That's not something I need to convince you of. We all know that we have sins. We all know that we have imperfections. We all know that we do things we know we shouldn't do. We have done things we know we shouldn't have done. We still struggle with doing things. Why is it so hard? Man, I want to be a better person. I want to be this person. Why is it hard to be the idealized version of myself? Because we struggle with sin and temptation. We all do. All of us do. We see, I mean, look around. We know the world is full of this, right? This cumulative effect of sin has created this broken world. Read the news, right? We try our best with worldly ways to try to fix it. You see all these political structures and social structures and all these other things we try to do to make things better. And all of our efforts of trying to make things better, and we still just kind of are the same we've been. We struggle with sin. I mean, I don't think there's anybody in here who can say, oh, no, not me. I, I have no sin. There's no such thing as sin. Really? Really? <laughs> Come on. We are all imperfect. We all have sin. The world is broken. And here's the thing. One of the things Jesus says that I don't know if it makes sense to me. He says, if God is perfect and we're imperfect, then that sin separates us from God. Jesus described it as a broken relationship. And I don't know about you, but being separated from the source of life sounds like a really bad position to be in. I don't know if I want to face death under those circumstances. My sin that I know I have, I just, you know, no one needs to convince me of that. I'm going to go to a perfect God with that? I don't know, man. I look, I look at every other religion. What do, what do they say? What do they say to do with that? What do we say? Every other world religion gives you a list of things that you do to make that right, to fix that. Everyone, their lists are different, but they're all basically saying, here's the list of things that you do to make it right. Jesus is the only one out there who says, there is nothing you can do to make yourself perfect. You can't unring a bell. In fact, God has done everything required for you to be saved and reconnected with, to him. And that is through his death on the cross, through Jesus' death on the cross, and that we can receive his grace, that free gift of complete forgiveness through faith in Jesus. And then that's something that God gives us. That message is something different than every other message out there. They're just different variations of the same thing. But Jesus says, no, no, that's not how it is. So God has given us this gift. You ever gotten a great gift? Like just a really great gift, something that just blew you away. My wife is a great gift giver. I am a terrible gift giver. Like that's just not my, 
my gift. <laughs> it's not my skill, right? And my wife's birthday is right at the beginning of January. So, like, you know, for, for pastors, oftentimes the Christmas season can be very busy. You know, it's a busy time in church. So I'm really busy through uh, Christmas and then, you know, the end of the year. And then right there is my wife's birthday. I'm not always good at planning ahead because if her birthday is right after Christmas, you got to plan ahead before things get too crazy. So I always find myself going at the last minute to try to scramble and get her a gift, and I feel so bad, and, and it's always pitiful. I mean, she shows me grace <laughs> with the birthday presents I've given her before. But every year, every year, she just gets me. She's just such a great gift giver, and I can't help but, man, I just appreciate it. It's so thoughtful. It's so thoughtful. It's just so good. It's just so helpful. that you, this, this, Whatever it is that she, it always is that way. I just can't help. Always. I'm, man, I'm so lucky. She's so good to me. Man, I, I appreciate that. I don't know about you, but man, when I get a great gift, that makes me want to be a better husband to her. You know, that reminds me, man, I just, that makes me want, I mean, you're so good to me. I think of this with the gift of grace that God has given us. I mean, he's given us something that we could never attain on our own. How does that make you feel? Man, because when the weight of that, when the reality of that sets into us, what? A free gift of complete forgiveness, a promise of eternal life. I have this? You're giving this to me? Just because you're good? And you love me? I am filled with appreciation. I am filled with awe. I am filled with praise. When the band gets up here and sings, I cannot help but sing along amazing grace. This is profound, and it is deeply changing inside of me. I look back at appreciation for what Jesus has done for me, and I can look forward to his second appearance in glory because Jesus said he will return. Like, I don't know what you think about that. I know it's kind of wacky. You know, there's, there were the movies and books several years ago about the end of the world and the apocalypse. And I remember the Mayan calendar, 2012, the world's supposed to end every five years, apparently. I don't know. You know, I don't know what you think about this, but here's what's crazy. Jesus said he will return. That there will be a time where he makes things right, where his work is finished. That there will be a time that he brings justice and he brings righteousness and he returns in glory. This idea of eternity, eternal life. This idea that Jesus is saying, oh, no, no, you're more than this. That your death is not the end. Whether you meet Jesus when he returns or whether you meet Jesus in death, that is not the end for you. That, that there is more to this. Death is not some insurmountable monster to be afraid of. See, the one who went through death and came back again, he's the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way. Death is not the end of us. It's not the end of our relationships. In fact, that's the only thing the Bible tells us that we can take with us, is our relationships. You know, all this stuff we accumulate, all the things we work hard for, all of that's gone. All of that is temporary. The only thing that we have is each other, and our relationship with each other and our relationship with God. I mean, that's a gift we can share with the people around us. That's a hope that we can share with the people around us. But we talk about not just this kind of wispy idea, this abstract of floating in the clouds. See, that's not something we get from Jesus. That's something we got from the Middle Ages. You know, artists and, and people from the Middle Ages, oh, here's, we're going to be kind of like angels with wings and the clouds and harps and white. You know, we don't see that in Scripture. We don't see that from Jesus. No, he said a real, physical, eternal. In fact, the way that the New Testament describes it is that our bodies now are like tents, and our bodies in eternity, our resurrected bodies in eternity, will be like mansions. There's no death. There's no suffering. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no cancer. 
There's no heart disease. There's no suicide. There's no depression. There's no anxiety. That he makes all things right. There's fulfillment and there's joy and there's peace and there's justice. And we have a real hope to look forward to. And this is a blessed hope, not a cursed hope. There are blessings to look forward to. This is not about judgment and condemnation. This is not about emptiness and about nothingness. When we have put our hope in Jesus, we have something beautiful to look forward to. Not something to fear, not something to dread, but something to anticipate, something to hope for. If all of this stuff is true, this changes everything. This is a game changer here. This eternity, these tiny little lives we have on this earth, it's just a speck of our existence, and that changes everything. I think about when I was in youth ministry, I had a student named Nate Bowsher. Nate Bowsher went with us to a conference, a summer conference. We took our youth group there, and uh, Nate Bowsher, he's kind of a lazy kid. Love him, good heart, but he's kind of a lazy kid. We're in the cafeteria one day. He had himself a plastic spoon. That he was right by the exit. He didn't want to walk over there and throw the spoon away, um, so he decided he was going to try to see if he could slip the spoon into somebody's pocket. That way he wouldn't have to throw it away, so he could just walk out, right? And so as he's trying to do this, some, some pe- person we didn't even know, me and the rest of our youth group, we were like right there. We see that he's trying to do this, so we're kind of leaning in. We're like, oh, is he going to be able to do this without the guy noticing? So we're like silently cheering. We're like, oh, go Nate, go Nate. He slips, and he slides it in, pulls his hand away, and we're like, oh, <laughs> got the spoon in this guy's pocket. So that became a thing, and the whole trip. Let's see if we can hide spoons in the people's pockets and get away with it, right? That became the challenge. That's what teenagers do, right? And so, so all week, but uh, me being the youth pastor, I was the target for a lot of those things. So everywhere I would go, I, you know, I'd up in front of everyone, I'd go to pray, amen. There's a spoon. In, what in the world? Did you put this spoon in my pocket while we were praying? You know, I'd go into my dorm room there because that's where we stayed the, uh, for the week, and there'd be a spoon on my pillow. They, this carried on even after the conference. We got back. I would walk into my office at times. There'd be a spoon on my laptop. You know, I'm like, when? did the teenager sneak in here and put a spoon on and then leave before I saw? It, 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 there were spoons everywhere. I had nightmares of spoons, waking up seeing spoons all around me. <laughs> it got to the point to where one day I'm walking out to my car. I had this little white Kia, and I get up to my car, and I kid you not, guys, I am not exaggerating. Every interior surface of my car was covered in plastic spoons. I later found out that Nate had organized our entire youth group and took up an offering and so that they could buy every single plastic spoon from two different Kroger's. I learned that there were over 4,000 spoons in my car. I was like, what initial? I'm so proud of you and angry at the same time. (laughs) Everywhere you go, you're rattling. It took me so long to get those spoons out of my car. I mean, you know, you'd find them, you you know, you'd put your brakes on, one slides out from underneath your seat. You know, there's another one I missed. You know, I got another one, throw it away. And, you know, I kept finding spoons everywhere until finally I was with uh, a couple of students. I was taking them home after youth group one night, and uh, I was driving through this uh, small little town that apparently was a speed trap, I found out. Uh, So, you know, blue lights behind me. I might have been going maybe one mile over the speed limit. I don't know how fast I was going, but anyways, it's, it's not important. But, you know, I got pulled over, you know, and the police officer comes up, and I'm like, oh, goodness. I'm so embarrassed. I got two kids from the youth group. I was like, oh, geez, They're, they think it's funny. You know, and so he says, you know, hey, you know how fast you were going? I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I didn't realize, you know. I said, well, I'm going to need your uh, license and registration. So, you know, I give my license. I open the glove box to get the res- – <laughs> I swear, like, a hundred spoons exploded out of my glove box. 
right there. I was like, oh my gosh, the police officer's right there. The, the teenagers are laughing hysterically, spoons everywhere. And, you know, the cop is obviously like, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, officer, I'm a, I'm a youth pastor. And, uh, <laughs> you know, these are some kids from my youth group. I kid you not, he goes, I'm going to let you off with a warning. Get out of here. <laughs> so, so forever we were known as the spoon people. Like I was known among the police department as the spoon. But they were everywhere. Couldn't get rid of them. And I think that the hope that we have in eternity, just like those plastic spoons, should permeate every part of our, of our lives. It should permeate every nook and cranny of our lives. This hope we have, this shows up in everything we do and everything we pursue. Here's how the Apostle Paul talks about it when he was writing to the Christians in the city of Philippi. He says this, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. This hope, this perfection, this eternity, I haven't yet achieved it. But one thing I do Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny, destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul is talking about living with an eternal perspective. Not the limited perspective we often do. I think of like, like this rope, if you were to just imagine this, we're just continue on for infinity. And this little red part is like our lives here on this earth. All of this is our existence in eternity. It just, just goes. But so much of our focus is on this little red part. So much of our efforts and our concerns and our attention so much is on this tiny little part. I think of, you know, we live for like just saving up for retirement. We just got, so this little retirement right here at the end is going to be really comfortable. And all of it is hard work, but all of our focus is on this little part at the end here. You know, I think of like so many of us look back on youth and beauty and we just, we just, I idolize youth and beauty. Really? Just this little part right here at the beginning is what everything's all about? Really? That's the most important part? I think of all of our stress and our worries of what if we mess this up and this little sliver right here is going to be really rough for us. Right? I think this is who we are. But all of our attention is on these tiny little slivers right here. All of our efforts and all of our work and, and everything is about this. I think there's more than just this, man. Jesus tells us at the end of our lives... What we do in this determines how we spend this. And at the end of this, we will receive either reward or regret. When I have this perspective, it changes how I live here. It changes what I value. It changes what I prioritize. And think about it. At the end, what do you really care about? I mean, at the end of this, right here. Well, what do we really care about? 
Do we care about our relationship with those that we love? We care about our relationship with our creator. I hope we do. So much of the other stuff just kind of doesn't matter anymore. And we're all the way down here. Will any of that stuff even matter anymore? That stuff that we used to worry about, that stuff we used to focus on, we're living in eternity with our creator. We're right here. That's, that's, that's silly. So much of it, you know, I just, I just think of, you know, people, you know, when the Apostle Paul says, I'm going to put all of my effort and all of my work and all of my attention, I'm going to put all of everything I have in here, everything, all of my wealth, all of my time, all of my plans, everything that I have in here is going to be going towards this. And a lot of people look at that and they go, man, you're so stupid. Like, what is this? You're living for like this later on. Yeah, that's so stupid. And I'm like, no, you're stupid, man. This is, we have this to look forward to. Why would we waste any of this stuff here, man? We have so much more. Why just spend all of our time making red as comfortable as possible? What would be different if we lived with an internal perspective? How would that permeate our lives? How would that change how we face adversity? How would that change what we pursue? I mean, it's tempting. It's tempting down here because everyone lives for just this. Everyone lives just for the red, but we have to keep that eternal perspective. The goal shouldn't be just to indulge and just make the red as great as it could be. I mean, the, the, there's so much more than that. It should, we, I mean, we can gain the whole world. You, every shiny, wonderful thing this world has to give you, you can have it all. You can get it all right here and, let, and yet lose your soul. If, if Jesus is who he says he is, if what he says is right, that changes everything. And I want to remind myself to live with an eternal perspective. I want to live in response to the grace that God has given me. I want to feel that appreciation. I want to express that appreciation. I want to grow and I want to let that change me from the inside out. And I want to live with an eternal perspective that guides everything in my life. And if you believe in Jesus, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus... I want to encourage you to do the same. Because what we have to look forward to is so much better than this. The last recording of Jesus. He says this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Let's pray.
God, we thank you so much for being a creator and a father and a friend. Lord, we don't deserve it. We haven't earned it. Lord, we just, I want to give you the glory for your goodness. I thank you so much for your grace, your free gift of complete forgiveness. God, help us to live in response to that. Help our obedience and our faithfulness to you not come from trying to earn your grace, but come from knowing that we already have your grace and we live in response to that. Lord, please change us from the inside out. Lord, remind us of your, the hope that we have in eternity. Remind us, help us to not get distracted or tempted away by any of the things of this world, but help us to use the things of this world and use all of the things that you bless us with and use all the time that we have and all that we have. Help us to use them for your glory. Lord, help us. Just give us that hope that sustains us through trials. Remind us of that hope and those times that we need to remember. Lord, thank you so much, Lord. We just ask for more of you in our lives. Please transform us and make us into the people you want us to be. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a time to respond with communion. It's our time to remember Jesus' sacrifice, the grace that we received through his sacrifice on the cross. So we invite you to take communion now.